Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's Kayla. Candace isn't able to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. And that's okay. And today we are talking about relationships. Relationships. They don't come without complications. And why are they so much work? You might be thinking of someone specific right now as I'm saying this. And you know what? The truth is, no matter what stage you're at, heartbreak, dating scene, newly dating, been together forever, it does feel like they require a lot of work. So how can we become better partners? How can we become better individuals to then become better partners? Well, we're going to discuss this and so much more today with our guests. We are being joined by John Kim and Vanessa Bennett. They are a pair of marriage and family therapists who not only have their own relationship together, they have written a book called It's Not Me, It's You, Break the Blame Cycle, Relationship Better. So without further ado, let's dive in to my conversation with John Kim and Vanessa Bennett. 
And we are here with John Kim and Vanessa Bennett. You guys, thank you so much for joining me today. So excited to be here, Kayla. Yeah, thank you for having us. Of course. You know, it's so funny because I think of both of you and writing this book together. And I feel like if your relationship survived writing a book together, (laughs) that it can probably survive anything. You know, my husband and I are both actors. And since the pandemic, we've had to put ourselves on tape for for different jobs. And with all of our actor friends, we joke all the time that if your relationship can survive an on tape, then it means that's a real relationship. And so I just thought of both of you spending all of this time together writing this book on relationships about your relationship. Well, maybe this is a good time to tell you that we didn't survive. We're not together anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The book destroyed us. Yeah, But it's worth it if it's going to help other people. Do as we say, not as we do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, are you joking or are you actually serious about it? No, I'm joking. Oh, okay. Um, Everything I say is deadpan and sarcastic. Got uh, it. Which which falls flat with Vanessa all the time. I just said to John earlier, he goes, I'm joking. I said, yes, but your jokes are only for you. No one else knows that you're joking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, instantly I'm like, then all my notes I have on this episode are just out the door. Okay, here we go. No, okay, so what? Does it take then to write a book as a couple? Because it does seem like that would be a very difficult feat. It wasn't that hard for me, actually. I know that, that I know it takes a little of the wind out of the sails, but you know, I think partly we're therapists. So I, I think we love to analyze ourselves and analyze everything and everyone. And so there's a little bit of, you know, excitement in that, I guess. Vanessa, well, can you use I statements, please? <laughs> Don't say we. It's You're what, your own person. It's what I'm going to say we, it's what we like to do. You know, it just felt really good, I think, to actually be able to dissect our own relationship in this way. It was therapeutic for us as much as I think it it hopefully is therapeutic for other people who are reading it. But I found it to be a great experience. I don't know. What do you think, John? Yeah, it was actually terrifying for me. I've written many books and this one was the scariest because it wasn't me by myself. It was someone kind of checking me, me checking her, going back to how we met and the turbulence and the conflict. It kind of brought things back up. So that was kind of difficult. That's fair. I do remember you saying at one point, oh, that was really hard to read. Right. Yeah. And me being like, oh, I forgot. you. We didn't really talk about that at the time, did we? So so there was that component to it. Her friends texting her, fuck this guy uh, when we first met. I was, was going to say, like, for, for our <laughs> listeners that don't know, can you guys take us back? Just give us like the short version of how you met and the turbulence of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to say that I manifested John. So the, the short the short version is a friend of a friend knew him online, sent me some stuff, and I didn't really pay much attention until randomly one day he posted something and I sent it to a friend of mine and I just had this knowing where I was like, I'm going to date this guy. And she was like, okay. Like, I don't know, he has like 80,000 followers at the time or something. It just kind of happened. I mean, we had a mutual friend and it just, it, I really didn't actually do the the work of getting it together. It just kind of almost like the universe did it for me. And on John's side, it was a little bit different because to him, it was just a blind date. Yeah, it was a blind date. And I was busy being single on purpose and wanted to get into some debauchery, things that I had FOMO about because I've been in relationships for most of my life, but I didn't get far. I, I didn't get into many DMs before Vanessa <laughs> fell out of the sky. I did him a favor. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, that's what set us up for ambivalence, at least on my side, because I wasn't sure. And, and you know, I'm 49 now. This was, when did we meet? I was late 40s. I think you were 44. I knew that the person that I met next was going to be the one that I built something with. And so, of course, when you start thinking that way, you're going to put a black light to that person. You're going to, you know, uh, italicize all the differences. 
and Vanessa and I are, are very different. So I don't know about you and your partner, but because we were very different, I was kind of in and out and in and out. That was the beginning. Yeah, the the back and forth. I mean, it was tough in the beginning because I felt like, oh, I had met this person who was almost almost like I was leveling up. It was like every time I dated, my, I remember my mom saying, uh, I think you're making your pool really small. Because after I got out of something before John, I was like, I'm only dating therapists from now on. She's like, um... <laughs> <laughs> that does make the pool very, very small. <laughs> but hey, I made it happen. <laughs> totally. No, but in that regard, my, when my husband and I first met, he did say to me, John, he was like, oh, already? Because he felt like he wanted, there was still so much he he needed to do with his life and like he wanted to experience. And, you know, when you do meet that person, you go, oh, well, I met you. All right, here we go. You know, so I think it was a very similar situation. And how, how old were you guys when you guys met? In the 26. Oh. Oh, 26. Wow. So we were quite I can see young. the already comment in 26. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so yeah, but you know, we have a three-year-old and a three-month-old right now. So we're definitely Aww, in the trenches congrats. of like, you know, we're really oh, yeah. in it together. Kayla, why, why did you guys do it again? After one. <laughs> we have a two and a half year old. Yeah, we have a two and a half year old. We're one and done. It was definitely a decision that we discussed over and over again, because I do think having kids is very hard, not only on us as individuals, but on a relationship. And we weren't aware how hard it would be. Yeah, nobody is. No, no one is. My mom is a therapist. Tanner and I wholeheartedly believe in therapy. We go every week. And so it was a decision we did not take lightly. So now we've decided we had a girl first and we ended up having a boy. And so now we're really, it solidified our, okay, we've got one of each. We're good to go. But I think to, in, to answer your question is I think my family, I grew up in a family of four children and I always thought I loved the idea of the house being really loud and people running and just, there's just so much going on. He grew up in a house of three children. So we it was definitely a part of our early conversation of wanting a lot of kids. That is until we realized how difficult it was. So now we're two and <laughs> until done. Until we realized and we how good. loud loud could actually be. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And truly, I mean, in all honesty, it was really tough for us to go from zero to one. But the hardest transition has been the most recent transition going from one to two. And I had heard that before. We were ready for it and we expected it. But like anything in life, especially with kids, you know, you can expect it all you want. But the actual living the actual reality of it is so hard. So as, we're definitely as actors. What happens if both of you guys book work? Tanner's on a show that shoots in Los Angeles and he works every day in Los Angeles. So if anyone books work elsewhere, it's me. And we have yet, I mean, I've done like a few episodes back and forth, been shooting in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but been able to come back and forth. So we've been, my family's also from Los Angeles. So it helps tremendously to have family in town. We have lots of support in many different ways. So luckily, that's been a big help for us. Yeah. I'm curious, what do you think was the number? John's interviewing you now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, <laughs> Turning the tables. Well, I'm just so used to ask, asking questions to, as a therapist. <laughs> but what do you think was the number one thing when it came to having a kid that affected the marriage? What would that be? I think it's more the routine you get into where you instead of communicating and really seeing each other, it becomes a relationship of scheduling and passing off. So it becomes more like, okay, you pick this person up, then I'm going to do that. It's just more of a scheduling instead of uh, it takes the emotion out of it and the and the fun and the thrill and the so it just became so much more of a just trying to like logistical survive logistics. Thank you. That's the word I'm searching for. Romance gets squeezed out of the yeah. shared calendar, which actually this is one of the questions I have. <laughs> 
for you guys that I would that this is going to lead straight into this because I read that you guys have a very specific feeling when it comes to scheduled sex. And I have to say, before we had two kids, I would roll my eyes at that and think like, oh my gosh, you have to schedule that. But it's not just, it's it's an important connection between two people. But then not only that, you your, your life is just so busy, for lack of a better term. And it is so important to have that connection. So you do end up having to schedule it, correct? Like, can you take me through this? Help us, because we could use your help. I think we're on the same page as you. Right, John? Yeah, I used to be someone a hopeless romantic. I will never schedule sex. That's so, you know, it's it's so not romantic. But we, we, we have, if you look in our Google Doc, uh, I don't know about this week, but we have, you know, afternoon delight. We have, you know, <laughs> it's the only way to get it in. And also, oh, I was going to say something, some stupid, dirty joke there, but it, it's too obvious. <laughs> but also, you know, it, sometimes it's th- for 30 minutes, for sometimes it's so it's very rushed. It feels kind of forced. But yeah, I don't know what the solution is. Also, I like it at night. She likes it during the day. Right. It's benefited me. Let me tell you, this has benefited me, though, because the daytime has to happen because even John, even though he likes it at night, he's just as exhausted. Right. So at the end of the day, when you put your such a, you know, toddler, they're at this phase where it's like everything is a fight. I mean, by the time I get her down for bed, I feel like I should I feel like I should be winning some sort of award for like solving world peace. I mean, it's like that kind of negotiation level. Right. Like put me on the front lines because I feel like I can negotiate world peace at this point. No. And yeah, it's you exhausting. Can. I, yeah, you can't. You just eventually have to like force them to do what you want to do. You, but you have. It does feel like such a battle that has won by the time everyone's in bed, and you're just too exhausted. And let's be honest. Like I, I have this joke of how I never wear nice clothing anymore because I just have spit up all over it. And so, how do you feel sexy when you've been had when you've had spit up over all over you all day long and it's just really hard to feel romantic and cute and be funny and when you're that exhausted and you know most households nowadays are two income households i mean life is expensive life is a lot and it's wonderful to have a lot of people in the house that want to be accomplished and and accomplish these great things but it it is so difficult to then find the balance between the two and you both are working it seems like there's an ebb and flow for both of you as well and i think that's hard too is there is a lifestyle like the artist lifestyle that isn't necessarily conducive to a 9 to 5 and i know you guys you i'm sure therapists point are all hours. People always need you. And so what? how do you balance then the scheduling of it all as well? Well, I want to say the scheduling is just surface. And I think there's something deeper and more substantial to talk about. I didn't know as a man what Vanessa was going through post-pregnancy, you know, a comfort in body. And also Logan, our daughter, is always clinging to her leg, not mine. So, you know, I was just feeling kind of undesired, you know, I, I was kind of uh, pushing her to have sex and when we're going to have sex, you know, take care of me, that kind of thing, until she started to express to me that she's going through a phase of being touched out. And so it made me realize, oh, wait a minute, this isn't just about her not wanting to have sex with me, but there's stuff that's happening underneath that maybe all women go through. And it made me try to understand her before me just getting my needs met, you know, or wanting to connect with her. Then I thought, okay, well, if I felt like that, maybe I can just kind of self-soothe, take care of myself, give her some space instead of trying to, you know, force 
this whole like, you know, twice a week or whatever it is, right? whatever your definition is on her. So now she's actually going to probably write a whole book about being touched out. Yeah, it's like the current book that I'm I'm working on. It's and you know honestly, Kayla, I'm sure to a certain extent every woman I know can understand, especially with little kids, right? When you're in that phase where you and you're you have a newborn, so right now your body is actually providing <laughs> survival and nourishment for another being. I mean, talk about being like the spit up not making you feel sexy, but when like every inch of your body is not your own to then think about giving your body again to your partner for a lot of women is hard, right? Because you're like, I just, can I just have my own fucking body for like a minute, please? And so there's a real struggle. And I, I work with a lot of female clients that have, have these, these similar problems. And I do believe it, it can be looked at as like, like a season in a marriage, right? Like a time in our lives. It is mostly when you have little kids, you know, they're not going to be as physically clingy the older they get. But but it's real, man. That feeling of being touched out is oof, something. What if Kayla said to you, Vanessa, that wasn't my experience. <laughs> We're having sex every day. I'm not touched out at all. No, but that wouldn't that be amazing? And like, I think the problem is that people just don't talk about it enough. Whether whatever your experience was, whether it was you felt sexy and awesome because your body was creating and helping this other person, or if you didn't and that whole spectrum and people just don't talk about it enough. So thank you for writing a book or thinking of writing, you know, your next book about that. I think it's because, you know, people don't talk about it because they want to, there's this conception that we all have to appear perfect. We all have to be this happy family. We all have to say, and, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Every movie that my daughter's watching right now ends with, and they lived happily ever after, which is great. But like, did they? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. we're back. We do have some younger listeners on this podcast who aren't yet at this stage in life, but are at the stage where they're finding their partner, or maybe they are still, you know, experimenting in relationships and figuring out what, who they are within their relationship and searching for that happily ever after. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's the, literally the title of one of the chapters, right? That we, we call it happily ever after is bullshit. And it's this real realization around how much damage actually the belief around happily ever after, the belief around the one can have on the relationship that's right there in front of us on this this potential, you know, searching that we do for a partner. You know, if I'm if I have this deep seated belief that there is the one, then the second the person I'm with, it gets hard, it gets sticky, then I mean, if it's the one. Shouldn't it be easy? Shouldn't it just work, right? So for a lot of clients, I see it becomes almost like like an ejection button, right? It's something to hide behind rather than actually show up and do the hard work that intimacy really requires. And also it's what we, like you said, it's what we've been fed, right? I mean, 
every rom-com, every Disney movie. You know, I always say with Cinderella, it's like we end on Prince Charming and Cinderella kissing. We don't ever actually see five years into the relationship, her screaming at him to pick up his socks for the 5,000th time that week, right? So we all think that the romance, the work is the getting to the wedding. And that's not the work. That's the easy part. I'm so sorry for those who have yet to experience. <laughs> but just so you know, that is actually the easy part. I'm not yeah. saying it doesn't come with its own difficulties because it does. But I think that, yeah, that, that is a huge misconception. What is the, our theory on the one and why do we have it and what can we do to break it? Like, how can we break the cycle when there's when we're in this dating rut and we're going after someone? How do we know they're the right person. I don't want to say the one, but how do we know they're the right one to continue to date? Yeah, I, I, I think start with redefinition of the one. So the one is the one in front of you. So the people that you have loved before, they were the one as well at that time. <laughs> they are no longer the one, you know, and if, if what helps me is if I think of Vanessa as the one because she's in front of me, then it doesn't make me compare or like think about what else could be out there or, you know, because we're different and maybe she's not for me. Uh, all of this, all of these kind of like uh, dangerous cognitive traps, distortions that we fall into. Instead, she's the one in my life. She's the one that I chose to build something with. So she is the one, you know, and then that's up with a, you end that with a period. Now, what can I do to make this better? What can I bring to the table? How can I contribute to both of us building something that is greater than the parts? I think when we get there, because that takes a lot of work, and we talk about swing past the breakers in the, in the book, but I think when, when we get there, then we don't ask if the person's the one because we don't have any doubt because this thing that we're, we're building is like, there's, it's almost like a spiritual experience. Then your relationship is like bigger than you, especially when you have children, right? And so you're just part of this thing that you are building that is greater than you. And I think when that happens, you have less ego. Uh, you let go of the tug of war rope. You're not so like me, 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 but you're contributing to this, you know, container, if you will. Right. And but it's so interesting because I would love your opinion on this, but it's so important not to lose yourself in your relationship. But it is such a delicate balance because you also don't want to solely be all about yourself. You need to know to focus on your partner. So what works in your guys's relationship? How does that balance help? How does it get in the way? What any advice in that regard would just be awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I'll speak to this more so because I show up in the relationship as the more avoidant tendency person. And John does tend to be the more anxious if we're talking kind of how we attach, right? Our attachment styles. And so I actually think for me being the more avoidant, it's important for me to continually remind myself that I have to show up and put in, not put in the effort. Like I, I actually know that I, I'm good at taking care of my partner, but taking care of my, of my person or of my partner can look in a lot of ways like mothering them because I'm very good at doing things for people and, and almost like proving my worth in a relationship by being useful and helpful and being needed. Right. Which I know a lot of people struggle with as well. And for me, it's important to remember, I need to actually check in with him. I need to spend time with him or even show him love in the way that he needs to hear it, right? So love languages, because I want him to feel loved. It's important to me that he feel loved. And I have to balance that with 
does this feel like it's too much for me right now? And that that's a hard rub for a lot of people, right? Because to your point, it is a delicate balance between I want to be partnered, but I want to make sure that I maintain autonomy and I am my own autonomous being. And I don't have an answer other than to say it is a daily dance. The hardest thing for me has been to just be honest and and verbalize and talk about where I'm at with John and then be okay with him being upset about it. So not needing to fix it. Wow. Right. And that's hard. That's a trap that I I know I and my partner Tanner tend to fall into is we both want to fix it, but fix it for the other person. But then there are times when both of us bring a issue to the forefront, but we don't want it fixed. We just want to talk about it. We just want to be able to talk about it, get it off our chest. We don't necessarily, or maybe we're just not in the mindset yet to want to fix it. So there's, there's like different stages to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I always say uh, all relationships are about compromise, but not compromise of self. I will give you my hand, but not my life, you know? And so I used to think I used to think love meant, and I don't know if this is because culturally just growing up Korean where it's like all about the family, you go down, we all go down kind of thing. I used to think that love meant if if you go down, I go down with you, of course. And then if I go down, you're coming down with me. And this idea that two people kind of like morph into one. And I thought that was romantic and sexy. And then of course, you know, that's basically our 20s and we realized it's unhealthy. And so now... Yeah, I I think communication, even when Vanessa, uh, you know, a good example of this is her recently being touched out, expressing that to me. And by expressing that to me, she's also telling herself, here's what I need, you know, and then I could take that information and based on what I do with it will determine whether she wants to be with me or not. <laughs> you know? And so <laughs> if I say, oh, I, you're going through this, um, I'm I'm going to be more sensitive to it whether that means taking care of myself or not putting pressure on her or whatever, that's, you know, how can I support you, right? Then we kind of go through it together. Or if I... And by the way, John, just jump in. It doesn't mean that you're not upset about it. Like that's, I think, the important note to make. You can still... I can still be upset about it. Yeah, I can still pout and throw right, chairs and it, shit. Well, you can, you can pout. But I mean, in general, like it's okay for that to also sting or for that not to, you know, like you want more and, and it's okay for me to then see that you're not okay with that. And I think a lot of the problems in our dynamics that we get into is that neither one of us can sit with the other person not being okay. Mm. You know what I mean? That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's just as fascinating. You're both relationship therapists in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, I mean, do you ever actually fight or do you, is it more of just a sit down? Okay. We're going to figure this out kind of, I mean, do you ever just hash it out and need to fight? (laughs) We, We fight all the time, but we kind of fight without fighting, meaning. Okay. We try to take ownership. We try to create a safe space, but of course we both have stories and we can be reactive and we could, you know, hurt, we could hurt each other. We could assassinate a character, all of that. But I, I feel like we put more pressure on ourselves because we have uh, been trained or we have, you know, helped other couples where we should know better. Right. So if I, if I call Vanessa, you know, some kind of name or, you know, call her an idiot or whatever, I should know better because that's, you know, assassinating character is something that you don't do. That's not fair. Right. So we do have rules and it's more about how we fight, not how many times we fight. Yeah. I will say too, that our fighting has actually been very healing for me because as somebody who I'm, I'm actually pretty conflict averse. And so I don't usually fight like my ex relationships. The only time when the fighting would happen has been, has been like, it's the end. And like, 
this is why we're fighting. But that doesn't mean that our relationships were great. It just meant that I never spoke up, right? I always say to somebody, people that have said to me before, oh, we never fight. I always say, that's just, that's not authentic. When two people are telling me we never fight, what that means is one person at least is just not opening their mouth. One person is sweeping things under the rug. One person is placating, not rocking the boat and not being authentic, right? Because as human beings, whether it's romantic partnerships, family, friends, like, we get into conflict, it's normal. But none of us know how to get into conflict. And so some people just avoid it, like I always did. And typically after a conflict has happened and you've gone through it all, you've hashed it out and you've resolved it, you are more connected and closer to that person. And it's almost like this cycle that you have to go through. But I never experienced that. And I think that a lot of people don't, and we call that in therapy, we call that the rupture and the repair right? A lot of people don't experience repair in relationships, especially in our families or, of origin. So we see a lot of rupture, but we don't ever see healthy repair. And so that is why so many people don't know how to fight or just avoid fighting altogether because they don't know that on the other side, there can be a deepening of a relationship. They've never experienced it. And I've only just experienced it in my relationship with John. It doesn't mean that I still go into fights with open arms. I still will avoid it almost to the point where John's got to drag it out of me. But I'm better now than I ever was. And I, I credit actually being able to fight in a healthy way in my relationship for so much of the healing that's happened for me personally, not just relationally. And I wish that other people could experience that, you know, like the healing power of fighting. Everyone has had some kind of trauma in their lives. And so I think the value of fighting in a safe way is not even about the fight, but it's the practice of conditioning your body, not your mind, that this is safe that you can say things, you know, because our bodies and we, we store a lot of trauma in our bodies, we're not used to depending on our upbringing, we're not used to going into conflict and feeling safe. We're used to going into conflict and thinking, you know, we're going to lose something where our shields up, we're in fight or flight, right? So we're, we're not pulling from love and compassion and understanding. We're pulling from defense, right? And pointing fingers. And so um, conditioning your body as a practice, like kind of like how you go to the gym, that it's okay to have conflict because it's safe. No one's going anywhere. Let's talk about this and this is okay. And once your body feels safe in that, I think two people can be more open and loving and, and you know, the, the, the body language, you know, tells you a lot. Right. How important is it to have our children witness the repair? Because a lot of times it does feel like they, they witness the fight. They can hear it. If you live in a house with someone and they're fighting, you better believe they can hear it, right? Even if you have a, a TV show on or whatever. Or sense it. Right. They can sense They can totally sense it. So how important is it then to have them witness the repair? I would actually say it's the most important. So not just the repair that they witness a repair between, let's say, you and your partner, if there's two people in your in your you know family as like the parents or the caretakers, but also it's the most important thing as a parent. So like to your child, between you and your child. So research has shown time and time again, like it doesn't, so many of the things that we think matter or are important as parents don't. That literally the number one indicator of having a child that is more secure, is able to have healthy conflict, right? Self-esteem, the way that they view themselves and their relationships, intimacy is do you repair? So are you are you showing them repair? Are they able to experience repair? Do you as the parent parent apologize, own your part, explain to them why you were wrong, um, initiate that repair, right? Again, 
the, the fact that I even have to talk about this shows that like we're not good at this. Right, right. Well, I mean, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, how, you know, you're operating on sheer exhaustion. You're doing your best. There's so many things. And then on top of that, you need to stop it all and explain why you were doing what you were doing and apologize. But if that is the most important thing to do, then that's what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, it can be it doesn't have to be pretty. Right. I mean, I of course, like I snap and I, I'll blow up and, you know, especially and I'm sure you know this with a toddler, like the whining phase is can be very grating <laughs> on nervous systems, <laughs> especially overtired, overworked nervous systems. And there have been many times where I've I've been like enough, you know, and then when things calm down and it doesn't have to be in the moment when things calm down, it's the, and it's the same thing with John. When things calm down, it doesn't have to be right then. I can come back and I can say, you know what, let's redo that. That wasn't cool. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. You know, I was stressed out. I was tired. I apologize that, you know, you didn't deserve that. And sometimes it can be as simple as that. Right. You guys clearly have a really healthy relationship. And I think that's something that a lot of people, all of us truly strive for. What do you think that most people can do to help improve the health of their relationship? Hmm, Just one thing, huh? Well, no, I mean, please give us (laughs) many. (laughs) Give us all you got. One of the things that we uh, we say in the book, it's something that I kind of try to live by and it's try to understand before trying to be understood. And this comes from most of my 20s steamrolling people, going into conflict, always getting them to see my side, why they were wrong. Now I'm just tired. I can't do that. <laughs> 49. But <laughs> trying to understand someone before trying to be understood. Now, when you have two people doing that, I think it flips the magnet back. You know, it creates a safe space. When two people are genuinely trying to understand before they're understood, it's the it, it feels safe and the soil is rich for growth, you know? I would say my biggest one that I've experienced in this relationship is ownership. I would say ownership can be the most, I would actually say, I'm going to venture to say the most transformative experience in a relationship as far as like health. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And we're back. And ownership meaning owning your faults or owning what do you? Yeah, owning your shit, right? Like there's a there's a saying in the twelve step program, like keeping your side of the fence clean, right? What's your hundred percent? There's a few different ways to say it. You know, I I talk a lot about this when I'm working with couples, but also individuals. It's like in every scenario, if we're talking relationships, there's always two people, so there is always something that you can own. And and a lot of people struggle with this concept because, you know, many of us have been victimized, like legitimately victimized. But, and I will say but, which is rare for a therapist, but many people have been victimized and yet you can still own something that brings you power. So for example, I, I'm, you know, I'm in a relationship where there's been infidelity by saying, oh, I have to own my part. I'm not saying that it's your fault that you were cheated on. What I'm saying is like, let's say, oh, the last six months, like he's been really, or she's been really distant and and they haven't been coming home or I, I, I just haven't felt connected to them. Well, why didn't you speak up about it, right? Like I didn't say anything. Okay, well, that's your part to own. I'm not saying that your part is it's your fault they cheated. What I'm saying is there's always something. And when we really start to turn the mirror around on ourself across the board in all areas of our life, not in like a self-deprecating, I messed up, I need to, you know, I have to be blamed, but more about like, where can I take ownership? Relationships radically shift, radically out of victim mode, finger pointing, and they start to become more collaborative. They start to be more empowering for both parties. So I would say like that has been one of the biggest ahas that I've had in the last probably five to 10 years. Wow. Wow. I thought when you said ownership, you're talking about possession. Like I, because I, I, because I see myself as owning you. See again, nobody knows it's a I joke. Guess, I guess I guess a huge sorry. part of a relationship is having lots of humor too. <laughs> my humor just, well, John land. thinks Kayla, he has humor. humor. Just it's just it's only funny to myself, and then when it comes out, it's just is he serious? What's going I will on have to face? say, like visually, when I see your face, I can tell that you're joking. But on the podcast, people may be listening and be like, "Wait, like, what? Oh shit, he owns her? What? <laughs> I thought we were learning that's about the only clip that's going to be played. Is there's a crazy <laughs> Korean therapist who believes he owns his partner? <laughs> so okay. In, in this regard, this kind of ties into what we were just talking about, but apologizing, that's a huge part of a relationship. And what I've found with my husband and I is one of us will actually think that we have apologized for something and the other one either hasn't heard it or it just wasn't done correctly. It wasn't done in the right way. So how do we know how to best apologize to our partners so that they really understand that we're genuine and we really are here with them and it's not sarcastic? Listen to them listen to what they're saying as far as like what they need from you. I mean, I, that's my gut. I, John and I actually just had this like last week or something. It was very silly and it kind of turned into me being really heated about, you know, it was something about the way he answered me and it was like a tone thing. I will say, John, from my perspective, you were a little deer in headlights, like your eyes were kind of wide. And I remember you being like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I don't remember the exact words you use, but I got 
pissed even more in that moment because I was like, no, that's not it. Like, that's actually not what I'm looking for from you. What I'm looking for from you is a realization of this component to it. Like, that's the ownership I need or the apology I need. And, I, you know, I don't think you actually were able to do it in that moment, which is fine. Again, coming back is okay. But later that day, you did come in and you were like, you know what? Like, I'm really sorry that it came out like this. And like, that was, you know, and that for me, it squashed it. Like I immediately felt like, okay, he sees it. He sees me. And you don't even have to agree with the person to apologize or or give them, you know, that apology. It just, it feels really good to be seen for what you want to be seen for, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you talk about coming back and this is a question I have for you guys, because there are times when I feel like we haven't totally hashed it out and it does need to, we do need to come back, but I, there's a fear in me to bring it back up because I'm afraid that if I bring it back up, it'll just start the fight over again. Yeah, it's really common. How do I effectively come back to it? Well, first I, I got to say, if you don't, if you don't come back to it, and this is now where resentment, even if it's, you know, a little bit like a pebble in your shoe. Uh, and then it's like coins in the bank where you just it just keeps adding up. It's like, ah, oh, it's not really worth bringing up because it's not that big of a deal. But then you're, oh, and then you have all this one day you wake up and you're like, I don't want you to touch me. And then you realize, oh, it's because I have all this resentment, all these things that have added up. And so I, I mentioned that because I, I think it's important to know what happens if you don't resolve it or bring it back up. And there are there may be some things that never get resolved. Yeah. You know, that's important. Yeah. They're, they're, and I think it was John Gottman or uh, the Gottmans who say that in every relationship, there's one thing that will never get resolved. Oh, wow. There's always like one point of contention. Yeah. Right. And that's freeing in a way to understand mm -hmm. that, like, listen, right. you're not going to be able to work through absolutely everything. And mm -hmm. that's no. OK. It almost gives you the ability to just be human. Right. It's yeah, exactly what it is. Yeah. You're human beings. You're different. Uh, it becomes less about being able to hash it out and more about can you sit in the the conflict? Can you sit in the discomfort of, right? You're different than me. I'm different than you. We're not always going to be understood by our partners. We're not always going to be seen and heard by our partners. You know, I mean, that that's a pretty deep concept, but really it's like we look to our partners to almost reparent us you're you're not going to get that from your partner all the time, you know? There's like something about like this life that we just have to accept that like you're going to be misunderstood in a lot of ways and you have to be okay with that. That's actually your work to do. You know, what is what is feeling misunderstood feel like for me and how do I to a certain extent self-soothe with this feeling because it's part of being human is being misunderstood. I mean, I'm not saying to the the level where you feel like your partner just doesn't understand who you are as a person, but on specific things or issues or, or conflict, right? Yeah. And going back to the apologizing for reals, I think we don't say we're sorry. Like a lot of people the will words. skirt around, <laughs> but they don't say the words, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe I should have said whatever or this or, you know, I'm going right. to fix it. Or, but I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. yeah. That's not an apology. Um, so I think there's two pieces to an apology. One, literally saying, I am sorry when ending that with a period, not I'm sorry, but you know what, if you did this or, you know, but you know my story and how it's hard, like, I'm sorry, period. And then I think the second piece to apologizing is actually, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, actually. What are you going to do about it now? You know, and most people don't think about that. And then it happens again. And then, you know. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, I'm realizing that I may be a victim of the or I may do the, I'm sorry, but you know, next time if you could, the, the, I'm sorry, but 
So the I'm sorry period is really good. It's hard. Thank you. It's hard to say <laughs> it's that. It's harder yeah. than it sounds for yeah. sure. It is. Yeah. Well, you know, seeing as he and I are really in it, I would love to talk to you about why. I know you guys talk about this in your book. So why children can be a Band-Aid in a bullet hole and like how to prevent that from happening because we made this decision to have a kid. Now he is kind of like, I let's have another one. And I'm like, I think that's the, <laughs> I think I'm done. I like, I don't know if I could do this again. My body can't do this again. It's a lot for me. Can you just kind of open up a little bit about this part of the book for, for me? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's tough because John and I, I don't think either one of us ever really had, unlike you two, we didn't come into this with this like desire to have big families and, and, you know, and so it's different probably for each person. John and I both came from loud families and instead of wanting to recreate that, we wanted to go the opposite way and have like <laughs> serene, <laughs> peaceful, quiet families, you know? I think where you're going with this is, you know, Vanessa and I are kind of, I don't know if we're older, but, you know, we had kids later in life. She never wanted kids. We're also okay with just having one. And everyone's like, well, why aren't you guys having another one? And we're like, no, we're not trying to trace that. We want to travel and do other things. And we don't want, you know, uh, we're okay with just one. But how how the... uh, the child becomes, I think you said a Band-Aid or... A Band-Aid on a bullet hole. Yeah. Well, I think it's easy for the relationship dynamic to change because when you have a child, the child or children become the son that now both of you guys revolve around, right? Before the child, it was love and romance and all these things. And it was very, you know, sexy and all that. So now you have a child and then you're just like two rotating planets around that child. And I think it's important to not lose your life when you have children. So you have to, you know, if traveling is your thing or if you're a foodie or whatever you do, like I have a Harley, I ride it almost every day. And Vanessa has not told me to sell the bike. My mom has, but that's part of who I am right now. And one day I may, I may sell it. I've had six motorcycles. If I start giving away pieces of me for the child, I know that now we're revolving around Logan and it's going to, there's going to be consequences to our own relationship with self. And then that's going to have consequences to the relationship, right? And then you wake up one day and you're like, everything I do is for this child or children or family. And I've lost my sense of self. So, And I lost my connection to my partner. Yeah. Hence Tanner and I, I was just going to say, like getting stuck in the logistics of it, of the daily life. And that's what we're constantly working to avoid is to not get stuck in those logistics and to, you know, spend time with each other and see each other and find that romance again. So, But I think yeah. also, you know, Kayla, what I hear a lot of clients talk or actually even just witnessing, I think, in friends or in people that I know, I've actually seen a lot of people have kids when their relationship is in a place where it's not the healthiest. Like that's when they decide to have kids. And what I would say is that actually feels to me more like the bandit in the bullet hole because you guys are bringing people into this world as a distraction. Now, I'm not saying you don't want kids. That's not what I'm saying. But those kids, to John's point, once they become the thing that you, you, it becomes a distraction. You can hide behind the logistics because let's be real, the logistics are non, like they're just never ending, right? There's always going to be something with a kid to focus on. So I don't have to actually focus on the hole that's developed in my relationship or honestly, my lack of relationship with myself that I might not have even had prior to having a child. But here's what happens. Carl Jung says that one of the, and I'm going to paraphrase because I always forget the exact quote, but basically he says one of the biggest travesties that we can give to a child is the, the unlived life of the parent. It's one of the greatest burdens. That's the word he uses. That's beautiful. Yeah. 
and think about how powerful it is when you really sit with it, right? And so I would say not just the unlived life of the individual parent, like I don't have a sense of self, I don't know who I am, but also the the couple, right? We place that on them. Now, listen, none of us are perfect. People break up, they they grow apart, they disconnect, but don't use that kid as a way to hide from your own life, your own work, your own intimacy, what it really takes to be alive and fulfilled outside of the fulfillment you get from your kids. Because if your kids are the only thing that are fulfilling you, trust me, they're going to know that. And that's a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders. Totally. You know, I really needed to hear this because there are Tanner and I have been doing a lot of things for ourselves. He was gone for five weeks. He was shooting something and now he's back. And we did something yesterday for just completely ourselves, uh, just the two of us. Right. And I felt guilty. I almost felt guilty because I was like, oh, should we it's Sunday? Should we be a family? Should we be doing this together? And, but then it was so important for us to connect. And we were gone for like seven hours and it was amazing. And it felt like like we felt like we came home different people. And I think that's so important to do. And I think that we can all feel sometimes a little bit of guilt doing something for ourselves. And it can feel like it's a bit selfish or possibly other people judge you for not being with your kids and doing something for yourself. But that's their own issue. But I've, I'm so grateful you said that because it actually takes away that feeling that I felt yesterday. So thank and you. And let's be real. It still, it still crops up, right? Like we're still going to feel that guilt, but we have to remind ourselves of that. Do stuff with each other, but also do stuff with just you for you and no one else, right? Like this thing is mine. God, that's so important. It's so important for our children to see us as these like fully embodied, passionate, excited about life people because they're looking to us for what their life should look like or sound like or feel like. And if they have a parent that's not excited about their own life, then that's kind of the path that they'll ultimately end up going down to. And that's sad. You guys, I mean, I know nobody has all the answers, but it definitely feels like you guys have a lot of the really important <laughs> ones. I'm I'm serious. So I just, anyone listening, I really want to encourage you guys, go get their book, Happily Ever After. Wait, nope. Sorry, let it's me. Not me. It's you. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Were you. Say Thank That's you. the funny part. That was the Freudian slip, if you will. <laughs> Keep that in there because obviously we're all, <laughs> we're directionally challenged. That's why we do this. <laughs> Sorry. Make sure you guys go get John and Vanessa's book. It's not me. It's you. Break the blame cycle. Relationship better. Thank you both for being with me today, helping me with my relationship. I really appreciate it. I'm going to take a lot of this and implement it right away. And hopefully it's going to help Tanner and I. So we'll see. I almost wish he would have joined us for this episode. That would have been great. That would have been fun. If, if Tanner joined <laughs> us, time. we would be sending you guys an invoice. It would be a couple <laughs> sessions. <basically>. Totally. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Well, thank you guys again so much for everything. Where can our listeners find you on all your socials? Uh, I'm at the angry therapist across the board. He's easy. I'm on Instagram as Vanessa S. Bennett. And then I'm on TikTok as the Coda Yoda. So you can find me there there. Dropping the codependency knowledge. Love. And we'll have all of that in our show notes. Thank you guys again so much for everything. And any last little tidbit you want to give or leave for our listeners? I want to say thank you for having us on your show and creating this kind of dialogue. What to leave for the listeners? I would say, besides the whole ownership thing, ask yourself what you're bringing to the table in this relationship mm-hmm. and start there. I love that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you yeah. so much. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Kayla. Direction Challenge.
Okay, that was awesome. I mean, they <laughs> I did not expect to get a free therapy session, but essentially I did. And now I could take all that and implement it into my relationship with Tanner. You know, I'm happy we talk about relationships on this podcast so much because I think whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a newly first date relationship, relationships are what build our lives and who we choose to give energy to determines the quality of our life. And so if we can really learn how to be better in our relationships, then I think our lives can just be better as a whole. And so I'm so grateful to John and Vanessa for coming to share their wisdom with us. And I highly recommend their book. I think it's fantastic. Once again, it's not me, it's you. Break the blame cycle, relationship better. Follow them on socials too. Make sure you guys continue to work on yourself because if we can work on ourselves, we can have better relationships and maybe not live happily ever after, but live happily. And that's what we all want, right? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST. Thank you.